Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. And it's good for us to be together to uh, support one another uh, in this difficult time that we're all facing. This morning, um, what I want to preach about is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And our scripture passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I'd like to read that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we worship your holy name. We come before you today asking for your mercies and comfort. Father, we acknowledge your mighty power and are humbled by your love for us. I ask that you bless the reading and hearing of your word this morning. Cause our hearts and minds to respond to the work of your Holy Spirit within us. In Jesus' name, amen. We come here each week to praise and worship our Heavenly Father, to sing to him and about him. We come for our hearts and minds to be taught by him, encouraged by him, corrected by him, and matured by him through his precious word. Each week, as we are here for an hour and a half or so, we have some brief time to visit with people before and after service, but not a lot of time. We mostly know surface things about the people we talk with, but not the deep stuff. There isn't really time for that, is there? So when do we do it? When do we make the time to share our struggles with a brother or sister in Christ? Maybe you do during the week or on a regular basis, and that's a great thing. But I think most of us shy away from really letting people in. We don't really know what the heavy things are in each other's lives. The things that really weigh us down. But we still come to praise and worship God and to hear from his word. This Sunday doesn't just seem different, it is different. Not different in why we have come, for we have still come to praise and worship our Heavenly Father and to learn from His Word, but different because of the heavy burden weighing on the hearts and minds of everyone in this room. Not only in this room, but throughout this community. It is a rare occasion when everyone knows what everyone else is going through. Not down to the detail because there are different levels of relationship represented, but the overall knowledge and sense of sorrow at the great loss of two beloved people from our congregation, our family. The feelings of shock, disbelief, sadness, Anger, confusion, frustration, and fear come flooding in at different times 
and in different ways. If you are like me, questions like why and how, like what do I say, what do I do, where do we go from here, or what does the future look like for this person or that person, all come to mind. Over the last few days, I have been praying and asking God, what does the church need and where do we find it? How are people going to be cared for this morning? You might be thinking, well, I need answers to some other questions. I need to know why and how this could happen. How can my faith withstand this? How does this affect people's view of Christianity or this church? How do I deal with the confusion that I have and that others have? How do I explain this to my kids? These are all valid questions. But you and I need to know that some questions will not be answered. Some may be answered given more time, but more important than the answers is that we as a church family are going to feel the impact of Wednesday morning for a long time, and in some cases for the rest of our lives. Some effects are going to show up in days, some in weeks, some in years. We just cannot predict them all. This fact in itself is a burden, but a friend reminded me that it is not necessary or possible to handle everything at once. We cannot solve this or answer all of the questions or repair damage all in one neat little sermon and then go on like nothing happened. The question is, what do we need right now? We need mercy and comfort from our Heavenly Father. We need mercy because we have no ability to change what happened, and we need comfort because we are burdened beyond our strength. Real mercy from the most merciful one and comfort from the source of every comfort. A comfort that fits every need, every situation, and all-encompassing comfort. This is only found in the God of all comfort. I pray God to comfort us all today with his word. In our text of 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, we see Paul referring to God as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The Father of mercies. This means that mercy or more accurately, mercies, plural, start with or originate from God the Father. He is the source or the beginning of mercy. He alone knows what true mercy is, and he alone can give it. It's true if you are in a position where someone needs mercy from you, you can give it or not give it. The thing is, we know nothing of true mercy apart from God. We know as Christians, God's ultimate act of mercy is toward the lost sinner, spiritually dead and already condemned to hell because of his sin. In God's mercy, he saves the lost sinner through repentance and belief in the work of Jesus Christ in his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 puts it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
But for the Christian, God's mercies do not end at salvation. No, they are ongoing through our lives as he conforms us into the image of his Son. This life brings plenty of occasion for God to show his mercies, and he does so. The author of Lamentations in chapter 3 describes his life by saying, I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope in the Lord. However, a few verses later, he says what brings his hope back. Turn with me, if you would, to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. After describing his life in those terms that we just read, he says in verse 21, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. He calls something to mind. He remembers who God is and that his mercies will never come to an end. And they are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. And in his soul, he knows that the Lord is his portion, so he will hope in him. God of all comfort. This is not comfort like being comfortable sitting in a good chair or wearing the right pair of shoes or going from being physically uncomfortable to being physically comfortable. This is a different kind of comfort. Most of the translations we use use the word comfort, which is translated from a Greek word that actually has a stronger meaning than we are used to associating with comfort. The idea of Paul's use of comfort is that of one who comes alongside to help, who strengthens or makes strong. The same word is used by Jesus to describe the function of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. So this is not about a physical feeling of comfort, but a strengthening by the help God gives through knowledge of his truth. Knowledge of God's nature, character, promises, and will. It is remembering these truths about God that bring about a kind of fortification of mind and spirit, giving strength to the Christian for every good work, giving the Christian the courage and boldness he or she needs for all afflictions that come upon them. Psalm 119.50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. There can be nothing more important for a Christian to remember than the promise of eternal life God gives through salvation. We must remember it, especially in our affliction. This is why we never stop proclaiming it, in our songs, in our prayers, and from the pulpit. There is security in the remembrance and repeating of the gospel, 
not because we have to do something to keep our salvation. We did nothing to obtain salvation, and we can do nothing to lose it. It is entirely by the will of the Father and the work of Jesus Christ. We remember because there is strength and fortification in remembering the greatest gift God ever gave. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of John. The book of John, in chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. And this is Jesus speaking, who says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up, on the last day. Jesus said, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is security in salvation. Now back to God's comfort and what Isaiah describes his comfort to be like. Isaiah 66, 13 says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Charles Spurgeon explains this passage and God's type of comfort this way. He says, This is a peculiarly delightful metaphor. A father can comfort, but I think he is not much at home as the work. When God speaks about his pity, he compares himself to their father. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. But when he speaks about comfort, he selects the mother. When I have seen the little ones sick, I have felt all the pity in the world for them, but I did not know how to set to work to comfort them. But a mother knows by instinct how to do it. So how do we understand and know these things to be true? It has to begin with knowing God. Without first knowing God as merciful comforter in our salvation, we can have no knowledge of him as merciful comforter in affliction or suffering. In our text in 2 Corinthians, Paul first acknowledges God for who he is. He proclaims in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's proclamation of his belief in these facts that they lay a foundation for his confident statement about God's unquestioned desire and ability to give mercy and comfort. Not only that, Paul says there is no limitation to God's ability to give comfort. He says in verse 4, Who comforts us in all our affliction. All means all. There is nothing, no circumstance, trial, pain, problem, 
tragedy, or situation that God cannot give comfort in. What affliction means in the biblical sense here is like a crushing pressure or pressing together, a deep anguish. It is this kind of thing that only God can give comfort in. It is important to notice that the scripture says God gives comfort in our affliction, not from our affliction. While scripture says God is the father of mercies, it says Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Deep affliction is a place where the father of lies prowls around. In the thick of our trouble, he whispers, God is a liar. He said he would take away your discomfort. Where is he? You prayed and your pain and suffering is still there. God is not real. What good is your faith? You follow a God who doesn't care enough to end your suffering. People are walking away from faith in God after tragic events because they believe this lie. Perhaps because they or someone else has misused passages like this and convinced them that it says God takes these things away. The passage does not say that. It says, he gives comfort in our affliction. This means that we still have to go through it. It is still part of our life. The effects will go on. And that is reality. This reality, however, does not change the truth that God brings comfort or strength or courage to go through it. He does. What we need here is remembrance an acknowledgement of who God is and what he has done. Not only remembrance of his mercy in your salvation, but the mercies he has shown you since then. As you grow and mature in your knowledge of him, and as he shapes and molds your life into the image of his son, he has had mercy on you many times if you will just think about it. We don't always want to look at it this way, but even God's discipline is a comfort to us and really a mercy as well because it helps us to turn from sinful behavior and stay away from it in the future. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is a reference to God's discipline, and his staff is a reference to God as our shepherd who leads us. And both here are said to be a comfort. So if we need remembrance of God's mercy and comfort to use as comfort in dark times, how do we do it? In the middle of it, our minds can be clouded by all kinds of unhelpful things. Well, there are two ways that this comes about by the Holy Spirit, and by other Christians. Turn with me, if you would, again to the book of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's just told them, a lot of very difficult things. 
And he says in verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus tells his disciples that the Father is sending the Holy Spirit in his name and that he will teach them all things and cause them to remember everything he has said to them. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He comes alongside and in his mercy reminds us who God is and what he has done in order to bring comfort. The end of verse 4 tells us there is a secondary purpose in God providing comfort to Christians. It reads, So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Not only does God comfort us in all our affliction, but he does it so that we are able to comfort other Christians with the same comfort. We are to come alongside each other and share with one another the comfort we have received from God. If we are unwilling to share our God-given comfort, we are not doing what God intended. Another hindrance is that Christians don't tell other Christians they are hurting. One commentator said it this way, Often we never receive the comfort God wants to give us through another person. Pride keeps us from revealing our needs to others, so we never receive the comfort God would give us through them. God intends our focus to be on Him in every affliction. Why, as Christians, would we put our focus on anything or anyone else? Well, sometimes our faith weakens. We unplug from Christian community and fellowship with the Father and prayer. Our emotions lead us, etc. Church, we don't have a God that is unfamiliar with affliction, sorrow, pain, and grief. Isaiah 53.3 says about Jesus that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knew personal grief from loss. He knew grief from his own physical suffering, and he knew grief from the crushing weight of the Father's wrath placed on, on him instead of on you and me. The Father knows the loss of his only Son in the most horrific way. Tragedy and loss is not a sign that God does not know what is happening, has lost control, or has changed his promises. The change is in our circumstances. In our weakness, we cannot stand on our own. And that's the point. We were never meant to stand on our own. Church, our grief is real. The loss is real. We should not and are not instructed to stuff it inside, suck it up, put on a smile, and pretend it did not happen. That is foolishness. 
We must stop hiding our pain behind a smiling face. Grieve together, but do it in view of God's great mercies and his all-sufficient comfort. Do it with patience and prayer and the truth of God's word. See how God comforts. Turn with me to Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David knew sorrow, and as his word comforts us from Scripture, comfort each other with the comfort you receive from God. Think, have you seen God's tender mercies shown from this tragedy? Take comfort in that. Not only that, share it to comfort others. Comfort with the word of God and prayer. Paul constantly prayed for God's mercy and grace to be given to his beloved churches. We should do the same. It is easy to see every darkness of a tragic event. But look for God's tender mercies, because they are new every morning. Do not harden your hearts in anger, confusion, and frustration over unanswered questions. Turn your focus on God. You cannot go wrong in this way. I have been so encouraged in the last couple of days by examples from people in this church comforting others with their words and their actions, even in their own deepest pain. It is amazing the power and comfort that comes from someone telling of God's mercies and comfort. Don't neglect this. I'm going to read again for you our main passage in 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are our Heavenly Father. And Lord, your word describes you as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. God, I pray that you would help all of us. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, bring remembrance to our minds of who you are as a merciful and comforting God. Bring to our remembrance the suffering you experienced, Lord, as Christ died on the cross. We thank you for his resurrection, Lord, 
Thank you for our salvation through his work. Lord, help us not to forget. In these times of great tragedy, Lord, we are brought to a place where we have to turn to you. We don't understand. We're confused. We just can't explain, Lord. But God, draw our hearts and minds to you. Lord, that we may praise and worship you because you are in control. Help us, Lord, as we've received your comfort and we will continue to, Lord. Help us to search each day for your tender mercies because they're there, Lord. And we thank you for it. Help us to comfort one another each day. Help us, Father, to be sensitive to one another, sensitive in what we say how we treat one another, Lord. And I pray, God, that above all else, your name would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, that people would come to know you. Lord, help us to grieve well. Thank you for being our God and our Father and our Lord and Savior. And we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.